Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story, the only no code podcast focused on real people and their authentic stories. Welcome to the future of the indie movement, where creators, freelancers, automators, and founders build products all without writing a single line of code. If you have a business idea and you're just learning about no-code tech, this is the best companion podcast for your journey. Learn from some of the best minds in no-code. Let's go. Before we get started, I have a small favor to ask. If you like what you hear on today's episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps more people benefit from the pod and lets me know that we're on the right track. Now, onto the show. Hi, I'm Giga, and this is my no-code story. Giga, welcome from Slovenia, is it? That's right, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm really excited to see so much activity going on in the web flow um, and just the no-code space in general in, in all of Europe. But especially, I think I've seen, I've had several guests on the podcast from various countries uh, in Europe that are developing new products and new services. And one of the key things that uh, hooked me onto, onto getting you onto the podcast was the fact that you're operating a Webflow services business. And there are a lot of Webflow experts and Webflow intermediate users that listen to this podcast that would be really interested to learn how they can start a Webflow service and work with their clients in various parts of the world. And uh, I think your experience would really help people. So I'm really excited to get into how you actually build a Webflow service business and um, everything else that you've been working on given your previous background before you entered the no-code space. So first of all, really excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So generally we started an agency uh, about two and a half years ago. It was just local local agency development and design agency. We didn't have any specific tech stack. We didn't do anything, you know, any specific technology, anything, anything that detailed. So we kind of walked around, you know, tried to try to find our our market fit. And at some point, uh, our co-founder Luca, uh, he created this landing page. It was just a simple one pager for Flowout. Uh, he did it himself in, in Webflow. He's a designer, and we just launched it via Product Hunt. We launched it in various groups. So this is kind of where our story started. That was last last spring, I believe, in April. Uh, first, we also did you know project based uh, project just projects uh, or hourly hourly projects uh, or on a project pricing basis. Uh, but afterwards, we tried to pivot the business model, you know, because we had this typical problem that I think most agencies have when they begin, which is uh, cash flow. So we didn't have like a stable cash flow to net. We didn't know how much money we're gonna earn two months from now or three months from now in the worst case scenario, right? So it was very dependent on our sales. So 
me and Luca, we, we did all the marketing and sales. Uh, we had, I think, the developers back then. And also Luca did still some design and I did some development at that point. So what we did then is we tried to pivot into a retainer model and try to productize this service uh, and not just productize it in the sense of we're just doing Webflow, but also productize our offering uh, into what it is now, for example, which is just two retainers and hourly packages uh, using a dashboard. So we, we then we then implemented many requests, which is an excellent uh, dashboard for our clients to, to submit requests uh, and for project management also internally. And this is kind of kind of the model that we stuck with for the past six, seven months. Uh, and we're growing about 20, 10 to 20 percent per month in revenue. Uh, so that is recurring revenue. Uh, we were one of the, let's say, we That's weren't the great. first, but we were one of the first uh, in the space as a productized service, uh, which is kind of why we had more time to, to you know, adjust uh, our business model to the needs of our clients. Uh, and right now our team is 12 people strong, including me and Luca. So we have uh, also our own marketing, uh, internal in-house marketing uh, team or person in this case. Uh, and also developers and designers who work on the projects and a project manager as well. I love how you just straight away went into how the business reshaped after you initially started out with sort of an agency model. And I hear this all the time. Anytime someone talks about starting an agency or starting a consulting business, um, the running joke is that it's one of the easiest businesses to start, one of the hardest businesses to sustain because the exact problem that you described, you don't really know what your revenue is going to be. It's not predictable. And once you're done with the project, the cycle time to get the next project set up, unless you have like a strong pipeline of projects or activities going on with the agency could be really hard. Um, I have seen it be uh, being done successfully though, because um, I had a couple of agency owners on the podcast. Um, one especially comes to mind uh, Will from uh, Momentum Group uh, out of Australia, and they're a bubble agency, and they kind of specialize in building web apps. And um, Will Erickson recently tweeted out that um, they've grown to a million dollars in ARR. I'm kind of going off of memory here, but that was pretty much the summary of his journey. And while I was talking to him on the podcast, he kept mentioning how they grew this remote team of 20 people that were basically bubble developers and they were able to manage project workloads and so on. So I have a couple of different questions for you on the back of this. One, is there a specific thought process that led you to building on Webflow versus picking a different tool? And just give me the, the behind the scenes of why it makes more sense to stick with a particular tool or platform while you're building your your agency business okay so if i answer first maybe why why we picked webflow uh, it was simply it, there, there was no specific reason for it except for us knowing the platform so we've worked a bit in it before uh, we like their their business model we also like the tool itself it's pretty easy to use for example bubble as you mentioned is bubble is a very strong no code tool, right? I've used it before. Uh, many of us in our team have. It has many options. You can you can do way more backend and logic in it, which you can't right now in Webflow. But it is in Webflow's pipeline as well. Uh, it should be released very soon, uh, hopefully. 
but but it, it's harder to estimate tasks just because of those complexity, those uh, complex features, uh, and of because of its its own complexity, which is not the case in Webflow. Plus, uh, Luca, who is also a co-founder, he's a designer. Uh, I was a front-end developer. I wasn't a full-stack or back-end developer, so Webflow just made more sense for us to you know start using. Uh, that was the main the main uh, reasoning behind it. Got it. And um, is, is there some kind of a, so if someone's looking to do this on their own and create a business around a, a, a no-code implementation stack, if you will, is there a benefit to sticking with a single tool and trying to use that to solve all problems that you try to solve for your customers? Or uh, should someone look at different tools and take pick the strengths from each tool? I don't think, I don't think... Uh you can use one tool for all cases. You know, uh, if you look at just a, a simple website, right? It's not just Webflow or WordPress or anything, just one technology. It's usually also a couple of other tools like Google, Google Analytics or Google Tag Manager in, in between, right? Or something like HubSpot or just some other third-party tools like some ERP systems for e-commerce or something, something else. So it's never really just one solution uh, that does everything. Uh, very often it's multiple solutions, um, multiple integrations. And Webflow, I think, is a very good part of this ecosystem that solves a big issue, which is the front-facing facade, basically, of any business, which is their website or just their UI, right? We've also built a couple of uh, UIs, uh, which were then exported into HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and developers could use them to integrate with, for example, Angular or React.js, Vue.js, and so on. So those are, you know, every tool has its own specific purpose, I believe, uh, and they can be integrated with each other. Uh, but I find it very good for a tool to be specialized into one in one specific area, one specific niche, be it uh, making websites or analytics or some other sort of tracking or whatever it is, uh, just because they can be better at that one thing. And I believe Webflow, for example, is a way better tool to make websites than Bubble is simply because you can be faster in it. Uh, it has a friendlier UI, so it's easier to maintain and easier to build in. Uh, Bubble has, of course, other strengths. It's a lot more complex. You can do th those logic features, which you can't in Webflow. Um, but for this specific purpose, I believe Webflow is a very good tool and very useful. And you uh, previously were saying something about, you know, um, logic and automations potentially coming to Webflow soon. And we have the no-code conference coming up in, I think, the October, November timeframe. Okay. So I'm really excited and curious to hear what new developments uh, they have to share with with everyone else in, in the no-code space. And hopefully we get um, we get backend logic um, in, in Webflow. It's been promised for a while, I know now. Yeah. I like your I like your response uh, to using the best tool for the job. Um, I also think there's something in terms of um, hitching your wagon to the right horse. And uh, Webflow, Bubble, Airtable, these seem to be sort of the leading contenders in the no-code space for breakout companies, companies that are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And if you're creating a services-oriented business, making sure that you're able to deliver your services on a dependable platform 
that you know has the potential to grow uh, could really be the decision that makes or breaks your business in terms of, you know, you might be, and you tell me if this is the case, you might be getting customers that have heard of Webflow, but, and, and wanted to use some kind of a, a technology to build it. And they come with some kind of a knowledge already about a few tools in the space. And the moment they hear that you're going to use Webflow, they, they kind of like it because they know that this is a platform that will continue to be invested in uh, for future development and so on. What are your thoughts on, on, on that aspect of it? I'm sure it's a, it's a big decision maker, you know, to when you make any decision, you want the, the choice you make to be scalable and as future proof as possible. Right. So with, with some traditional technologies, like for example, let's say WordPress, right? WordPress runs a quarter of all websites on the internet. So it's by far the biggest platform uh, for most businesses. Uh, also for most businesses that switch from something to Webflow, it's usually from WordPress. It's very rarely something else. Uh, and in those cases, uh, I believe, yeah, there are other drawbacks, specifically with WordPress, for example. Uh, I've built many sites in WordPress myself, uh, as did our team in the past. And what happens often is the maintenance costs are very hard to estimate. And there are many things that can go wrong, right? Because you need to self-host it. Uh, if you don't know anything about server administration, it, it can be very bad for you as well. Uh, or, or a plugin, for example, is updated and it just stops working or crashes the entire website. Uh, there's malware that can also uh, come onto your server and your website and suddenly you have some pharma hack in, in the back end and so on. So there are all other drawbacks with these traditional technologies, uh, technologies which modern software service uh, businesses like Webflow or Bubble solve, but they are more centralized, which is kind of their strength and also their drawback because you have limitations into what you can customize. And there are also limitations to, to actually access the code because you can't obviously access the code, right? Uh, you can self-host it in the same way that you can WordPress and so on. But for most businesses, I think this is, it's better because it's simply cheaper. Uh, it's easier to maintain. Uh, and those are basically the two things that are, you know, for a website, for example, are the, those are the things that matter most, uh, more than many others. So that, that, that's my take on that. And, um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, walk me through your decision, um, to switch from the agency model to more of a retainer model. Do you feel this kind of decision is something every agency should consider? especially as they're starting out, is there kind of a, a life cycle path that, that might exist that takes you from starting out building some kind of a retainer model and then adding some of the strategic services that you can offer as, as a web agency in, in, in terms of you know, product strategy, in terms of design strategy, et cetera. Um, what, what do you think that ideal trajectory would look like for someone that's looking to start out, maybe go from a freelancer, uh, doing something, uh, do, doing projects, one-off projects for customers to building out a team and, and building kind of a, a, a business around this. Uh, what's the ideal path given that you've, you've been through this? So I think the, the ideal, <clears throat> ideal path would be to just use a combination of, you know, either some hourly projects or, just project pricing uh, and and some retainers with it. So I think it's very important for any agency to to stabilize the cash flow. 
not, not only for not only for predictability, uh, but also because on the long run, we found there is a bigger bigger ROI with using retainers. Uh, there's a bigger margin with using them. Uh, because on a project basis, you know, you have to negotiate with the client for every feature, every change request, anything that wasn't specified in the, in the initial brief. And there are there, there can be many conflicts. I'm not saying it's you know hard conflicts, but at times uh, there might be some dissatisfaction just because there was lack of communication, for example, which doesn't happen that much with retainers, uh, because there you don't really care about any change request or anything because you get a fixed monthly fee. Especially with our model, uh, a float we use, we use uh, unlimited retainers basically. So there is no limit on the amount of hours per month or the amount of requests our clients get to to <clears throat> every month basically. So that that kind of that kind of solves that problem. Uh, also, the problem with estimations, the problem with offers. So when when we, for example, have a have a call with a potential client with a lead, we just say, hey, go to our pricing page. You can see everything there. Uh, it's very straightforward. You can just purchase it. It's basically an e-commerce checkout, and that's it. Uh, but there are some uh, that you know want, want to have a fixed project quote uh, or just want to work hourly. And if they are interesting enough, uh, so if we see some future potential with them, we do that. Uh, but it's more of an exception than a rule. Uh, but it's not suitable for any agency. So I, I think retainers are extremely suitable for anything that involves a creative process as well like branding, for example, right? Uh, because there can be an infinite number of iterations with stuff like that. Uh, also with our model, where we usually maintain websites, we rarely use retainers to build a website from scratch. We do, but it's more of an exception again. Uh, so those are more project-based, let's say. Uh, retainers are perfect for startups, for example, that, uh, that need someone to, to add landing pages, to edit their existing websites, uh, to change stuff, maybe fix some bugs on an ongoing basis, but they already have their own website set up, which is what we take, and then scale, modify, whatever's necessary. Uh, but for, for projects that go from zero, it's usually easier, and there's also a higher margin uh, very often if you just put a fixed price on it and say, oh, hey, okay, this page includes let's say 20, 20 screens, and that's going to be this much money. So th that is a big factor here. It depends on the case. Uh, but lately, I think, uh, I'm sure you also noticed, there's, a, there's, a, there's an influx of these unlimited retainer models uh, from, from everywhere, basically, not just Webflow. There's DesignJoy, for example, for design. Uh, there are, I think we have already three or four competitors in our own space, just in Webflow as a productized service. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a good thing. It means the market is growing. It means people are adapting to this business model, which is getting more and more popular. Um, and it's better in many ways because we know, okay, so our ARR is this much, for example, I don't know, 700K. Uh, so we know how many people we can hire, uh, how much money we, we have left at the end of each month and what the profit is going to be at the end of the year. So it's way easier in the business sense. It's way, it's way easier, you know, to work on a retainer. But it also depends on the client at times. So some are more demanding, some are less. Yeah, it's it's also possibly validation in some sense, right? To see so many uh, companies now adopting the retainer model. Uh, first of all, it makes it more familiar to your customers, uh, potential customers that might be looking to engage you for services. And then, of course, as you start to 
grow and scale, there might be additional models that you can put around this. But I feel like if someone's a beginner freelancer, it almost is a no brainer to go down this route and um, convert their sort of um, fee for activity type uh, model into more of a sustainable model um, by offering unlimited hours. And a lot of people, especially ones that are starting out in this space, um, probably get a little bit intimidated by that. They fear that uh, customers might sort of abuse the unlimited um, uh, work uh, policy or model. Uh, but the reality of it is it's, it's actually better to offer unlimited and get a happy customer at the end of uh, you know, the, the project cycle. Um, and generate that predictable revenue than it is to you know talk about how many hours you actually spent building that uh, that particular uh, addition to the website or something like that. Um, so I, I really like how you describe the the commercial aspect of this as well. Going into a lot of detail, I'm sure people would have found it a lot uh, extremely useful. Um, I also know that you were talking about being a front end developer in the past. Um, why pivot to Webflow? Why not just continue to dabble in the front-end development space um, and, and you know, use the power of the, the open web, if you will, to, to build projects? Why did, you, why did you pivot to Webflow? So at, at some point, a couple of years ago, I decided not to, not to be a developer anymore, basically, uh, but to go into, into business. Uh, this is when we started our agency. So before that, I was a freelancer and I worked in various agencies uh, here in Slovenia and also remotely for, for you know, freelance for some American companies as well. Uh, but yeah, at some point I said, okay, I don't see, I don't see this being scalable. You know, a job is scalable. You can just scale your salary to some point, but there is a, that, that point is not, not, not uh, high enough to be, for me to be, uh, for me to be satisfied. So that, that's the point where we opened the agency. Um, and yeah, so, so I did switch to Webflow for the time being until we had enough revenue uh, and flow out to, to hire other developers, more developers. Um, but right now, I don't personally develop basically anything anymore. Uh, sure, I do a task from time to time, especially on our in-house uh, products, projects, and website. Uh, but that's that. So I kind of remove myself from the operations, um, and we just try to, to scale. Uh, the current business in this business model and try to also remove ourselves from it, except for obviously marketing and sales, which is our, our core uh, role right now with, with Luca. Got it. And um, you might have a unique perspective on this, uh, having been in sort of front-end development in the past, working as a freelancer, um, and now having your own agency focused on no-code tech. Um, why do you think uh, more people are gravitating towards using no-code tools. And what do you see like in the next five years? Um, I've seen just this year, for example, a lot of fundraising activity in the no-code and, and low-code space really, but especially in the no-code space, um, which typically translates into better functionality, better, um, uh, more business models being out there and more people in the ecosystem. So what's your view on this and what do you think the next five years hold for us? I think the, the largest USPs of no-code technologies are it's easier to build products and it's faster to build products. So if you're a builder, it enables you to launch an MVP 
uh, it enables you to test the product market fit in basically record time uh, instead of developing something for a year or two and then just finding out the market doesn't need another note-taking tool, for example, right? So th th those are the biggest yep. benefits I see here. The second thing is that many no-code tools these days aren't really no-code. Uh, they're often some code. If you want to customize them as you wish, if you want to add some custom features, integrations, and so on, not everything, for example, is compatible with Zapier. Uh, for some things, you still need some custom backend, for example, and so on. But it does save you costs, and it does save you money if you use no-code tools where it's possible. So, for example, there is no reason at all right now for a startup, uh, especially an early early stage startup, to build a website in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript just statically in, in sublime text, for example. Uh, it doesn't make sense. It's more expensive. It takes longer. It's harder to maintain. And at the end, the product's going to be just as good or even worse at times than if they would build it in some no-code tool like Petlo. And there's also tools in other other areas like building mobile apps, right? Uh, building building app backends, building APIs. So it, I think I think it's growing. If you look at, at it from a very from a more abstract point of view, uh, a program is just you know a set of instructions. So it's something that theoretically you could write in English and the code could write itself, which is something that I'm sure is going to happen at some point in the future. Um, stuff like that is also in development. Um, so, so I think that, that the development itself won't be such a large market in the future uh, because writing code is not a skill that's irreplaceable. Uh, thinking about the instructions and thinking about it from a logic standpoint, I think, is the thing that people that, that will differentiate good and bad engineers and developers in the future, which is also basically a, a no-code tool if you look at, at it from that way. Yeah, that's a great thought construct. I mean, eventually all development that is that is not really bespoke uh, will start to become productized into no-code tech. And it's yeah. already happening. Like you, you talked about something that's uh, pretty big news in the developer world where you could have software kind of write lines of code um, based, on, uh, based on just a text string that you type out. And um, I know... Uh, OpenAI was working on something along those lines, uh, and GitHub recently launched Copilot, right? So that's they call it your your AI pair programmer, and uh, it's actually pretty incredible to see that in action. I saw someone show um, the various ways in which you could go from text expansion to just functional expansion within GitHub to now just writing out a sentence and having a whole bunch of code being uh, put out automatically by, by GitHub. So I, th I think the the construct that you provided around how we think about no-code is not just to, to help beginners that have not been programmers or developers in the past create their own websites and web apps and mobile apps, but also for developers to simplify their lives and focus their energies on more complex problems and more strategic problems potentially. And everything that's pretty abstract uh, that can be automated becomes some kind of a, some kind of a no-code construct. So that's, that's a really great way to, to think about this. Um, I know before you launched Flowout, uh, you've also been part of multiple ventures. And I'm sure as you went from one project to the next, you've had a lot of learnings come out of it. 
So could you kind of give us a little bit of uh, the experience that you've gained over the past several years, uh, both before flow out and during um, on the business side of things? So what are some lessons that people need to keep in mind? And then also on the people side of things, because I know you're now a team of, is it 15 people that flow out? Almost, yes, 12 right now. But it's going to be 15. Okay, 15 so it's probably. About 12 people that flow out. Got it. So uh, you're also growing a team and there's a specific type of challenge that comes with that. So help me understand what your biggest lessons have been in both of those areas. So as, as a 90s kid, I was always, you know, I, I, I grew up with computers. I grew up with uh, communication channels with basically the whole world. So it, it was, it's kind of logical, you know, to work for me. It's logical to work from home, uh, to be able to access the internet and to just communicate with anyone from all the way from, I don't know, China to, to the US, right? So it doesn't really matter where someone's located these days anymore. Uh, and the product is, you know, a product's a product in, in Slovenia and France or in the US. So we, we kind of speak the same language uh, with everyone in the sense of our, our jobs and our work. Um, so yeah, we, we, we enforced uh, remote work with our, with our team from day one. So we are all remote. Many of us actually live a few kilometers apart from each other. Uh, and we do see each other every now and then go to lunch, uh, do some activities together, but generally we are remote. So we also have some, some other developers, uh, three developers actually stationed in, in Kosovo, um, who also work remotely from there. Uh, people these days, especially people of our generation, plus minus a few years, I think, love the idea of working from home. And since we don't have a factory or, I don't know, a warehouse or anything else, uh, that is a possibility, right? All you need is just internet and a computer and you can just work from there. I personally didn't, didn't have any experience of people not working. Uh, so I must say that we really had, I don't know if it's luck or if we just uh, attract these kind of people, but no, no one is just sitting at home, not doing anything. So I'm kind of grateful. I'm very grateful for that, actually, uh, that our team is, is very hardworking. Uh, but yeah, in the past, with, with past ventures, uh, we usually worked with some people locally. So with the same group of, group of friends, actually, that, that uh, we're working with right now. We started many businesses. Uh, we tried to realize many ideas. Uh, some of them were, were decent, some weren't. Uh, some of them didn't make uh, a buck. So that, that's also something that happens. And, and what you learn in the process, I think, is that the best business is the one that generates money from day one. So this is kind of kind of the, the idea that we are following right now. It's, it's, it's best if a business makes money when you launch. So from day one, it's good to plan out a business, not to plan out you know, an idea to, to get $5 million in funding. Of course, that's a possibility, sure. Uh, I mean, why not? Uh, but I think it's it's easier for, I'd say 99% of people to to plan out a business, uh, a business model that's profitable from day one and try to launch it as fast as possible, even if it's imperfect, even if it has, uh, I don't know, the business model might be 80% done. It doesn't have to be completely finished. Not everything has to make sense when you launch but you're going to find out many things, uh, more things when you launch than you know, just thinking about it and just thinking about all the potential problems uh, that might happen, what can go wrong. Uh, it's good to have some things in the back of your mind uh, when it comes to that. But at the end of the day, if you don't launch, you're never going to know if, 
your business is going to work. So especially with services, if there's a service market fit, like, uh, like there was in our case at some point, um, it's, I think it's important just to, just to try it, just to test it out as an MVP, spend a weekend building a landing page and try to launch it. Uh, that's, that's often enough. Yeah, I think um, you bring up so many good points and it's, uh, it's such a great way to think about just um, building a business and attracting the right kind of people. Um, I, I'm sure you have a lot in store with respect to growth and just building out the business, etc. Um, what are what's on your radar right now? Like what, what is the next growth avenue for you? Is it more customers? Is it a specific type of customer? So right now we are working most of our, on our marketing and acquisition channels uh, to try to find more quality leads. Uh, we are using cold outreach. We are using ads. We're building our SEO as well. Uh, and all, all of those are currently proving to be successful channels. Uh, but in the future, we will also like to move a bit from, these, from this <clears throat> services sphere into products, into building products for the Webflow community. Uh, I'm talking about uh, software as a service products, basically. So that's something, you know, we are, when working on, on many projects, you see things that are missing within Webflow uh, or some other technology, uh, and you see how to fill, fill the, the, those spaces up. And this is kind of what we are trying to do in the future in the next, let's say, six or 12 months. Um, we have a dedicated team for that. So we are basically using all our profits to build these products right now. Uh, it's not that the service is funding our lifestyles. It's more funding our future potential growth that we try to try to achieve uh, because productizing your service service is great. Yeah, and that's, but, you know, building a product is even building a product is even better because it's more scalable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of the future of the indie or small group entrepreneur that, uh, or small team uh, that starts to build products on top of, you know, Webflow and Bubble and so on. We're starting to see more of these use cases. And in some situations, it's just a quick start, right? So it's just the ability for someone to, you know, purchase a small product and have their site either up and running, similar to like a template, but with more functionality, et cetera. So I think that's exactly the right way to think about um, growing and productizing a bit more, going from like a services business to a SaaS business. And um, I, I wish your team uh, the very best uh, as you move forward with that. Um, Ziga, I had a lot of fun, uh, uh, technical difficulties uh, uh, notwithstanding. I had a lot of fun uh, talking with you today. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time. And um, why don't you give our, get, our listeners a handoff to where they can learn more about Flowout, about you personally, and if they have some questions, how do they reach you? Of course. So you can learn more about our business on flowo.com and on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm personally not that active on, on social media, but you can always follow me either on LinkedIn or on Twitter. So thank you. Okay. Awesome. It was great having you on Ziga and uh, thanks again. Thank you for having me. Take care. Have a great day. Right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. 
Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again and I'll see you on the next one.